Hey, this is Pastor John Ryan Cantu from Numa Church in Houston, Texas. Thank you for listening to the message today. I hope that it blesses you and all those that you share it with. God bless you. How we doing? Brother Junior, Brother Junior, come here, brother. Look at this guy. Looking like a gift. Looking like a Amen. Sister Evie, man, you got you guys you guys do well. You guys do well with the with the ugly Christmas gear. Um aim, Yeah, I, I guess so. I, I say every year, I say every year, it's because I don't I don't own anything that's ugly. <laughs> Some of y'all are like, Pastor, uh, those glasses that you have, those gold ones, yeah. Amen. It's good to be in the house of God. Before we get started, man, I want to I want to wish a very happy birthday to my dad, to our to our pastor, chief pastor. Amen. He turns 40 today. Amen. And looking good. I hope to uh I hope to look half as well as 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 he does by the time I get to your age. Um but I'm not on my way. <laughs> But anyways, amen, amen. Next Sunday, um, next Sunday we're gonna have uh, our Vision Sunday, which is gonna be at ten o'clock. Amen. So one service next Sunday. It's the day after Christmas. Uh, you get to well, I was gonna say you get to sleep in a little bit later. No, that's the Spanish service. Uh, you have to actually wake up a little bit earlier to, to be here at 10 o'clock, and we're just going to be talking about, you know, where God is taking the ministry, um, amen, and, and God is, God is continually, uh, continuously uh, showing vision, imparting vision, and, and uh, good things are, are still to, to come for, for Numa Church, amen. Um, this morning, I want to take you to the book of Matthew, uh, verses 1, chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. And, um, man, I don't know if you guys mind if I teach a little bit today. We're going to get a little bit deeper this morning. I'm going to do my best to explain myself as best as I can and teach. You know, being that it's Christmas, I feel like I've preached the traditional Christmas story for the past, you know, seven years. And there's really no other angle to, to preach it from. So I wanted to do something new today, um, but it's going to be a little bit less preachy and a little bit more teachy. And I hope that's okay and I'll, I'll preach the normal Christmas message next year. Um, this is likely going to be a first uh, for some of you. Because since when does anybody read genealogies? Amen. Might not even know what a genealogy is. What is a genealogy? Chances are, whenever you get to the genealogy in your Bible study, you skip it. It's okay to be honest. It's okay to say, yep, I skip it, Pastor. Yes, I skip it. We skip it because it's just a bunch of names that we can't pronounce and we feel dumb staying there for like, like 20 minutes trying to pronounce these names of, of people I don't know. And, and, and we, know, we have no idea who these people are. And it's also just like straight facts, right? There's no spiritual component to soothe your, your soul. So you skip it. No one ever posts verses that says, and Amimadab became the father of nation, right? And amen, right? No one does that. But we're going we're gonna to read it this morning. And we're not going to read all of it. We're going to read from Abraham to Solomon. And you know, your Bible, can I just say this? Your Bible isn't just there to make you feel good. See, a lot of times we want to open the scriptures and say, God, speak to my feelings. Soothe my feelings. Make me feel better right now. God, encourage me. 
It's never God correct me. God encourage me. God make me feel nice. God make me feel good. But the Bible is there to do all of the above. It is there to inform, instruct, correct, convict, and to save and to encourage. So anytime we read scripture, and I hope that maybe you make it a part of your New Year's resolution to read, read the whole Bible. Go, go the 66 books. Don't skip over the genealogies because even those kind of more boring parts of scripture we should ask, why is this here? And that's what we're going to do this morning as we look at the genealogy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Beginning with verse 1, it says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac became the father of Jacob. Jacob became the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah became the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez became the father of Hezron. Hezron became the father of Aram. And Aram became the father of Aminadab. And Aminadab, I can't say that one, became the father of Nation. And Nation became the father of Salmon. And Salmon became the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz became the father of Obed by Ruth. Obed became the father of Jesse. Jesse became the father of David, the king. And David became the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, a.k.a. Bathsheba. Amen. That make you feel good this morning? (laughs) Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, my God, for this word, my God, because we know that there is something here, my God, because you are the God of the details, Father God. And even when we don't want to pay attention to them, Father God, you are speaking and you are working, Father God. And I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit reveal to us uh, something, my God, this morning that would impact our spirit and our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So why is all of this Necessary. Why do we care about who's Jesus, who Jesus' descendants were? Why do we care about that? Chances are you might not even care who your descendants are. There's that, there's that like website, Ancestry.com. I've never felt the need to look up my ancestors. I, I know who my dad is. I know who my grandparents were, my great-grandparents. That, that's good. That's good with me. I'm, I'm proud to be a part of the family that I'm a, that I'm a part of. Why do we need to know? Where Jesus comes from. Well, you see, Matthew, who was the, the, the author of this gospel, Matthew, he was about to testify of the Lord Jesus as the Christ. Christ means Messiah. It's the same, it's the same word. And so he was about to make these claims in, in his eyewitness account that Jesus was the Messiah. But in order to do that, he first had to establish the pedigree of Jesus because everybody knew in Israel who, that the Messiah would come from the descendant of David. He was going to be the son of David. So Matthew gives this account of Jesus' ancestry through his adoptive father, Joseph. And he shows that Jesus has legal right to the throne of David by his father, D- Joseph. That's what Matthew's doing. That's the point of it. It's not just there to be cute. Is there for a reason. But Matthew does something a little extra. Matthew mentions the name of four women in the genealogy of Jesus. Now that's a big deal because in these days, women had very little significance. The name of women didn't matter as much as the name of the man. That's just how it was. So genealogies were recorded with, with the patriarch 
in mind. And if you read Luke's gospel, you might see, you might see uh, another set of names that, that, that Matthew doesn't represent. That's because Luke uh, wanted to provide the genealogical record of, of, of Jesus' bloodline. So Matthew gives us the legal genealogy through Joseph. Uh, Luke gives us the biological genealogy through Mary. But even Luke knows that genealogies don't start with the woman. So what Luke does, instead of using the name Mary, because that would not be correct, politically correct, he uses the name of Joseph, and he takes the father of Mary and assigns that father to Joseph. So you might see in Matthew and in Luke that Joseph had two different fathers. One was his actual father, and one was his father-in-law. Luke, didn't choose, Luke chose not to mention the name Mary because it just wasn't proper in those days. Hope I'm not losing you. <laughs> Jesus had both the legal right and the biological right to the throne of David. But my point is that the names of women weren't traditionally used, and Matthew mentions four. Why does he do that? And who, and, and who are these women? If you have kids in here, we're going to talk about some adult stuff, so just be warned. I don't want to be responsible for premature conversations that you didn't intend on having with your kids yet. Um, but these women, these four women had backgrounds. They had baggage. Any of us have backgrounds? Any of us have baggage? Maybe you brought some baggage in with you to church this morning. That's okay. These women had backgrounds. They had baggage. Tamar succumbed to prostitution. Rahab was a prostitute by profession. She wasn't even mad about it. That's what she did. Ruth came from a culture of idolatry and extreme paganism. And Bathsheba, she wasn't even supposed to be in the picture. And another thing is that all these women were foreigners. They weren't even Jews. God called the Jews to be his chosen people so that the Jews would, have, would keep this, this pure bloodline connecting to Jesus. Why are these foreign women in the bloodline of Jesus? They all had baggage. They all had things that they weren't proud of. It would have been another thing if these women were like Esther's, right, and Deborah's warriors and, and queens, but no, they were harlots, they were concubines, and they were widows. They all had messy stories. Why would Matthew include these names that were attached to such a mess? Why is the story of our Lord and Savior Jesus attached to such a mess? Maybe this moment in your life right now, you're saying, man, it is such a mess. Maybe the things that God has allowed you to walk through this year is a mess. I titled my sermon this morning, ready? From mess to Messiah. From mess to Messiah. Tell the person next to you, there's a message in your mess. Now to the other person, there is a message in your mess. Maybe God, man, maybe God allowed you to go through some weird things in 2021. And you're like, man, come on, 2022, let's, let's make it a new year, a better year. But I want you to understand a purpose will be worked out through your mess if you are in the will of God. Maybe, maybe you said, God, I have given you my everything. I committed myself to you. I came to church Sunday after Sunday. I read my Bible more. I sought you more. I, I prayed more. But I'm still in a mess. My finances are in a mess. My relationships are all jacked up. I try so hard to be right and to be pure and to do things correctly. But it's still a mess. Man, what Jesus could do with a mess. 
I want to briefly highlight the stories of these women real quick. I, I don't really intend to, to, to make them the focal point of the message, but I do want to kind of highlight their stories. Each of these women have their own backgrounds and their own stories, and we could do a whole message on, on, on each of them, but I'm just going to summarize. Genesis 38, it records the, uh, the story of, of Tamar. And Tamar is a, uh, she's a Canaanite woman, and, and, and she struggles to have a son. Not because she's barren, but because she just can't catch a break. She's been through so much, and it's like the luck is just like not on her side. You ever felt that way? It's just, man, God, like, I'm, I'm capable, but it's just not happening. And Tamar was that, that woman, and she's abused, and she's forgotten about. And in and, and, and Genesis 38, 6, beginning with verse 6, it says, In the course of time, I just want you to kind of hear her story. In the course of time, Judah arranged for the firstborn son, Ur, to marry a young woman named Tamar. But Ur was a wicked man in the Lord's sight, so the Lord took his life. Then Judah said to Ur's brother, Onan, go and marry Tamar as our law requires of the brother of a man who has died. You must produce an heir for your brother. But Onan was not willing to have a child who would not be his own heir. So whenever he had intercourse with his brother's wife, he spilled his seed on the ground. This prevented her from having a child who would belong to his brother, but the Lord considered it evil for Onan to deny a child for his dead brother. So the Lord took Onan's life too. Then Judah said to Tamar, Judah is, is, the, is the father-in-law. He says, go back to your parents' home and remain a widow until my son Shelah is old enough to marry you. But Judah didn't really intend to do this because he was afraid Shelah would die also. So Tamar went back to live in her father's home. Already her life is a mess. You read that story, it's like, girl... Get away from me. I don't want to be your friend. Like, don't bring that luck to me. Right? Right? I mean, she's a widow two times over. She has no children. She's basically in limbo as she waits for Judah's third son to grow up and marry her and give her children. And she's forgotten about. And, and then her story gets even more messy. Judah's wife dies. Tamar kind of sees an opportunity as, as if, you know, she's all out of options. So she disguises herself as a prostitute, offers herself to Judah, her father-in-law, and becomes pregnant with twins. That's some drama. That's like you see that stuff on Maury or something, right? <laughs> what a mess. What a mess. And then we get to Rahab. Joshua talks about Rahab. She's a Canaanite harlot. And like Tamar, she's a very unlikely candidate to be a descendant of the sinless, pure, righteous son of God, Jesus, right? She comes from one of the most wicked cities in the Old Testament. Again, she's a harlot by profession. But in the Bible, we hear about Rahab housing two spies, from, the, uh, from, from Israel, they were going to go out to the land of Canaan to spy it out because they were going to take it over. And the king hears that these spies are, is in the vicinity, right? And, and, and Rahab takes them in, recognizing the God who they belong to. She, she, she says, man, I, I heard of what your God has done. I heard that, the, that, that your God parted the sea in Egypt, that he, that he delivered you from the hand of, of Pharaoh. I, I want to be on your side. And so she, instead of giving them over to the king, she helps them escape. Rahab marries this man, Salmon. Salmon is the grandfather of Obed. 
Obed is the husband of Ruth. Now, you're probably familiar with the story of Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite. Uh, Ruth's husband, her brother-in-law, and her father-in-law all die, leaving Ruth with no one except for her mother-in-law, la suegra. Now, come on. Let's be real. How many of y'all would go with your suegra? Don't answer that. <laughs> she, she, instead of going back to her father and mother's house, she decides to stay loyal to her mother-in-law, Naomi. And, 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 and so she goes with her. And after many years of faithfulness, Ruth finds Boaz. And Boaz marries her. And they both have Obed. Obed is the grandfather of King David. Now, King David one day sees a woman named Bathsheba. She's a Hittite. And she's bathing on the rooftop. And David sends for her to sleep with her. David gets her pregnant. But he finds out that Bathsheba is actually married to one of his chief soldiers, so it's very problematic. So David decides to put Bathsheba's husband in the front lines of battle, knowing that he's going to get killed. He is killed, making his baby mama a widow. And he takes Bathsheba to be his wife. And because of God's anger, God takes away the life of David and Bathsheba's baby. And then eventually... The two have Solomon. What, what a mess. What a mess. This is where Jesus comes from? These, these are his descendants? I just thought it was king after king after king after king after king. The, this is what he comes from. Sometimes we get so discouraged because we look at our past mistakes and, 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 and the mess that we've made of everything, and then we think that God can't use us. We think God can't use us. We think that because of our past, we have no future. Or even, maybe it's not that you think that God can't use you. Maybe you think, okay, God can use me. I have a past, but God can use me. But you've decided in your mind that God can't use you to certain things. That's more realistic. I've been divorced. I can't be a pastor. I've been, I've been in prison. I can't. I can't lead a youth ministry. I have to settle for something else because of the mess that I made. We treat our mess. We treat our mess with more power than we treat grace sometimes. I've made a mess of my life. I've made a mess of my finances. I'll never be able to bless my church with a good offering. I got something to tell you, man. If God called you, he will qualify you. If God called you, uh, he will make irrelevant the thing that disqualifies you. Your past might be a mess, but Jesus didn't die for your mess. He died for your future to give you hope, to give you a future. That is what he died for, not for your past. And so many times, church, we give so much power to our past. We say, I've always been this way. I'm never, I'm never going to change. How can I change my way of thinking? This is, this is how my dad thought. This is how my grandparents thought. My, my, my father, he was, he was an alcoholic. Therefore, I'm going to be an alcoholic. It's because, it's because of, of my dad's struggles or my mom's struggles that I have my struggles. It's because my grandparents were awful people that I'm an awful person. My, my parents got a divorce. Their parents got a divorce. Their parents got a divorce. What, what do you think follows me? Divorce. And because of all of that, a lot of times we think that our future is determined, and I don't know who I'm speaking to today, but that is one of the biggest lies 
that we could ever believe. Especially when it comes to sin, man. And, and, and we have too many Christians, I'm, I'm saying Christians, who are still living as if they are bound by their past. When a person is redeemed through Jesus Christ, listen to this. Every generational curse is broken. Every generational curse. Maybe no one's told you that before. Maybe nobody's told you that you're free. But when you came to Christ, he's free. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. Does that mean you're not going to struggle? No. You're going to struggle. Does that mean that you're not going to face the same temptations that you faced before you came to Christ? No, you, you will. But it does mean that your past is no longer relevant in the eyes of God. I mean, I've talked to some people, Christians, who, who still believe that they're under generational curses. I don't understand how a Christian can believe that they are still under a generational curse. How can you be under a curse and grace at the same time? Is, 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 is the curse of sin not the very thing that, that Christ came and died for and put to death? Don't be, treat, don't be treating your past with so much value that it devalues the grace that we say is sufficient. Because if we are still under the curse, then grace is not sufficient. If you're still giving so much credit to your past, what are you saying to the grace of God? What are you saying to the gift that God said, here, I'm going to give this to the world and it is going to take away the sins of everyone. What are you saying to that? Sometimes kids, they open up gifts and like, it's just not, it's not enough, you know? <laughs> And we've had this, we've had this talk with, with Layla and we're like, hey, anytime someone gives you a gift, I don't care if you don't like it, you smile and you say thank you. Be grateful. But sometimes even you can, you can, you can, you can put that face on that says, thank you, I'm grateful. But in your heart, you're like, this isn't enough. I wish I had something more. I wish it was, I wish it was, I wish it was better. God has given you the greatest gift given to humanity. And sometimes we still choose to give so much power to the thing that Christ put to death. That's the truth. The truth is that Jesus puts to death all that sin and he breaks the bondage of sin in your life. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> There's a message in your mess. There's a message in what used to be your mess. Testify to that. Testify. Let people know where you come from. Let people know you grew up in the hood. Let people know that you were in a gang one time. Pastor Danny was talking this morning about how, you know, he was a little gangster over there in L.A. And, and, uh, don't be ashamed of that. Because God, God pulled you through that, right? Don't be ashamed of what God pulled you through. Don't be ashamed to tell people, man, in the year 2021, my marriage was almost over, but man, God took me out of that, and now it's stronger than ever. Don't be ashamed, man. Don't be ashamed of your past when your present looks nothing like it. 
The mess happened under the curse of sin. But grace happens when you find the Messiah. This is the hope of the world that, that the angel told, told Joseph about. It says, she will bear a son, and you are to call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. That's the whole message right there. That is the whole mission of Jesus. It's in one name. The name Jesus means Yahweh saves. You, you are to call him Jesus, not because it's a cute name. You are to call him Jesus because that is what he's going to do. That is what he's going to represent. He's going to take the sins away from this world. And so I think that Matthew, through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, of course, was strategic to include these four names of these women. Because Matthew didn't have to mention them. He didn't have to. They, they don't add any prestige, any value to the genealogy of Jesus. Nothing. Imagine if you had a relative who was famous for something evil. What if your great, great, you know, grandmother was a, was, was a harlot? What if your grandfather was involved in like a pyramid scheme or something? Like, would you tell people that? Would you be proud of that? Matthew wasn't required to say these names, but he did. They weren't, they weren't even Jews. God instructed Israel to keep the bloodline pure. Don't intermarry with other nations. But it's almost as if Matthew is proud to say that these foreign women had a part in the birth of Jesus. So the question is, why? Why does he mention them? A lot of commentators see a spiritual significance to this. These women represented three types of people. You ready for it? For taking notes. Three types of people. Like everyone else, they first represented sinners. Just like us. Just like, just like many of the men. We, we haven't even, we, we're not even talking about the men today. But the, the men and the genealogical record of, of Jesus. I mean, King David alone. Manasseh. Solomon. I mean, these, we're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. They represented sinners. They represented, number two, outcasts. Because as women, they didn't have much of a voice. As, as widows, their voice was even less. How many times have we felt misunderstood, forgotten, unloved? They were outcast. And the third, they were foreigners. Just as we are Gentiles, so were they. So I think that God showed grace. Listen, I think that God showed grace to these women and made them foremothers of Jesus in the same way that he extended grace to us to make us descendants of Jesus. See, because as messy as this genealogy might be, Jesus knew, Jesus knew that we were going to have messy lives. Jesus knew, Brother Edward, that you were going to have some messy situations. He knew that you were going to have some messy relationships and messy stories that you don't tell people about and messy problems. God knew that we'd be a mess. That's what people do is we make messes, man. We make messes. Sometimes we make messes with our children, with our family, with our spouses, with our church, with our ministries. We make a mess. That's just, man, that's what we do. It's like, it's like God cleans up and the next day the house is a mess again, just like our house with two kids. That's what we do is we make a mess. 
But God knew. God knew that when the mess met the Messiah, God would no longer count it against us. As Romans 8, 1 says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. The mess of sin is gone. The curse of sin. The curse of sin. I got, man, I got to tell somebody this morning. I know this is not your typical Christmas message, but the curse of sin is not here. When, when, when you have come to Christ, you are no longer under bondage. You know how I know that? It's because when Jesus was born, I want you to get this. this is, we're we're going to get theological. When Jesus was born, a new seed was born. When Jesus was born, a new seed was born. It was brought into existence. This is why Jesus says you need to be born again. You need to be baptized in the name of Jesus. We have to become a new creation. The old has passed, become a, a new. And that's only made possible by Jesus. Paul says in Romans 5.17, I know we're getting deep. I'm, it's all good. It's all good. Romans 5.17, I think it's up here. It says, he's talking about Adam. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through the one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. And one of my favorite verses in all the scripture, Romans 5, 19, for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. See, Jesus breaks generational curses. He breaks generational curses. You got to know that God, God told the serpent, he said, he said to the serpent in, in the garden after Adam and Eve sinned, he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. Why does he not say his offspring? We just talked about the importance of the man's name. Mankind is named after Adam. Adam means man. Why does he not say, I will put enmity between your offspring and his offspring? I thought there was, I thought there was so much importance that we place on the, on, on, on the man. Why does God say her offspring? It's because this is the very first prophecy of the coming Messiah. It's called the Proto-Evangelium, Latin for first good news, uh, Genesis 3.15. It is concerning the future Messiah who, we, who would be born of a virgin, a new seed. Jesus isn't coming from the seed of the man because the seed of the man is inherently corrupt. It is inherently evil. It is, it, it is done. So God is going to send a new seed imparted into the woman who is the Holy Spirit in order for the Savior to break the generational curses of the man because the man's seed couldn't do it. And the verse says, he shall bruise your head, serpent, and you will only bruise his heel. There's, there's, a, there's a song that, man, we used to get down to. He's under my feet. He's under my feet. He's under my feet. Come on. Come on, church. Come on. Come on. He's under my feet. He's under my feet. Satan is under my feet. That's what that means. 
We ain't talking about, you know, Satan is below us. We're saying that there is, there is power the moment Jesus crushes the head of the serpent. And that same power is passed down to us. He may bruise our heel every now and then. He may get us every now and then. We may stumble, but he is still under our feet because I'm under a new seed. I'm under a new promise, a new covenant. And Jesus was only able to do this because he is God. He's not the heir of sin. He's not the heir of the curse of sin because he's God. Even though he stepped into our world, even though he became one of us, he was not of this world. And that same gift that has been presented has, has been presented to all those who accept Jesus as Lord. We can let go of that curse by receiving the grace of God. And Paul reminds us, he says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. It's because of Jesus that we can call the God of the universe, Father. I have that right. I have that same legal right to the Father. Even though we were once sinners, even though we were once outcasts, even though we were once foreigners to his kingdom, that is the power of Jesus. Even though he came from messy forefathers, even though Jesus came in and he stepped into a messy world and he confronted messy people, the Messiah cleaned up the mess. And he can do that for every single one of us if we just give in and say yes. I'm asking the worship team to come up. Amen. Amen. I just need you to know, church, man, that so, so many times we just, we cling to our baggage. We worry so much about where we came from. We worry so much about our past. We worry so much about the things that we did as if we can't, we can't correct them. We can't correct them, but, but Christ can. The Messiah can clean up the mess. And, and the Son of God, he didn't come from perfect people. He came because people were imperfect. And so many times we, we, we want to wait. If you, haven't noticed, if you haven't noticed by now, this is the message of salvation. So many times we, we wait to come to Jesus because we think that we need to be ready to be perfect. Yeah, we, we think we need to fix ourselves. We think we need to be, we need to be perfect because we, that, that, that's, Jesus requires perfection from, from day one. That's just too big a thing to commit to. I can't live up to a perfect God, but that's the thing about grace, man. In the same way that these four women for, were far from perfect, so are we. This is why this is the greatest gift that the world has ever seen. This is why we celebrate Christmas, even though Jesus' birthday wasn't in December. I don't know why, first of all, I don't know why that's the big deal. It's not really a big deal. We're, we're celebrating the birth of Christ. We're celebrating 
the, the gift of salvation. The greatest gift, man, greater than all the jewelry, great, greater than all the gold, greater than that PS5 I didn't win. The greatest gift ever given came in the form of a humble servant. Came to serve. Came to serve. Came to serve the will of his father. For us. Because his love is real. Our God was so good, man. Our God is so good that he gave my mess to the Messiah who would redeem us, who would save us, and who would love us. I asked the worship team to sing this song just as a reminder of the love that we have in Jesus. I'm going to ask that we stand. Thanks for listening. If you'd like some more information on Numa Church, visit us on our website at mynumachurch.org. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with your friends on social media and tag us at mynumachurch. Thanks again and God bless.